let's kick this off. Um, Simon, um, international author, speaker, pastor of theology. Why don't you just unpack that a little bit for us? What, what is a pastor of theology? Well, I've been doing it for 13 years. I'm still not sure. <laughs> and uh, nor are those in the church. Basically, about 14 years ago, um, I was looking to leave my role as a student chaplain and um, looking at various jobs. And um, there was an amazing prophecy that was actually given at, from someone uh, at the National Leaders Conference at Vineyard to me. And they said, um, we've got, uh, they had three, a dream with three parts in it. One was of a peg being driven further down. The other was of um, a chess piece moving forward, a knight, you know, moving forward but to the side. And the other was with a cloud over my head. And they said, I don't know what it means. Well, at, at that time, the church approached me and asked me if I would be a pastor of theology. The title is just because everyone in our church is called pastor of something. Pastor of worship, pastor of music, pastor of children. So pastor of theology. And they set up a job with three parts. One was, you know, to be rooted in the church and, and invest in the leadership, which was the sort of peg going in. The other was to take up invitations to travel and speak in different contexts, which I think was the night. And the third was to write books. So um, we tried to write a book every year and a half, something like that. Wow, that's amazing. Um, one of the um, yeah, one of the interesting things is that you you are an author, and uh, even in the vineyard we have um, you know teaching materials, theology materials that you actually teach and have really blessed us over the years. I don't know. I just wondered, like maybe there are some some uh, younger people here today that are thinking, how do I how do I get that kind of inspiration to actually write? And I wondered if you could share a little bit about how do you get the inspiration to write the incredible books that you write? <laughs> well, when it's your job, you're told to do it. <laughs> uh, and then you pray for inspiration. Um, the way that I've done it is that each year or two, I've asked the Lord what theme he wants me to study that year or that period. And then I've devoted, I've then read you know, two dozen books on that subject um, and studied scripture around that and then invariably taught a series of lectures, um, you know, 20 or 30 lectures on that theme coming out of the reading and reflection and then that has become the book. Um, so the inspiration has, has really been in that sense of, Lord, what, what shall I devote this year to look at and consider um, but my friends have been involved in advising me, the team. So I, I wrote a book, uh, you know, a couple of books on the spirit. I wrote one because I wanted to write it, and then one because the publisher said, we want you to write a more substantial book. So they were the inspiration. Um, then I wrote a book on the end times because my colleagues wanted me to teach for a year on it. Um, and, uh, and so different things. And then as I've traveled and taught, other things have grabbed me and I've had a burden that tends to be, rather than responding to what I'm seeing, more, more disciplined and, pra and, and sort of, not pragmatic, more sort of principled, we're going to work on this for a year, this for a year, investing in the life of the local church, but then if it's published and others pick it up, great. That's amazing. Um, and so to you, Harmony, um, obviously you are the Director of Worship for the UK and Ireland. Tell us a little bit about what is that and what, what is that role? 
Well, can I start a little bit further back? Is that okay? So for a number of years, I've had the privilege of pastoring our creative community in our church in Belfast. And so I've been pastor, worship leader, songwriter, uh, all, all sorts of different hats. And um, I think what I do now as director of worship is I bring all of those different experiences and uh, opportunities to develop in different ways as a leader to caring for our creative community here in the vineyard across the movement, which is a real delight. Um, and if you wanna know a bit more about what we do, come to the seminar tomorrow. Um, but we are all about training and equipping and we do record and capture what God is um, speaking through our songs. And um, so if you do wanna know a bit more about the details of that, you can come to the seminar or you can go online and check out the different things that we do. Um, but we just, we just at NLC this year, 2018, rebirthed as Vineyard Worship from being Vineyard Records because we actually want to reach for more than recording. Recordings are great, um, but there's so much more to worship. I could go on and on and on, I'll stop there. Well, t tell us a bit more about um, some of the distinctives and the values and the, the vision then of the rebirthing of Vineyard Worship. The values of the vineyard. Um, I love talking about the values of the vineyard. If you've been around me at all, I love talking about intimacy with Jesus um, because I think that's one of our most important distinctives. Um, and I, I love all of our values, um, accessibility, integrity, kingdom expectation. And um, I love that we have uh, words for our values, that we can talk about those things. And... Um, and I, and I think as we develop as a movement, some people say, oh, you guys are so insecure. You always have to talk about who you are. I think it's important to know who you are. It doesn't mean that we don't like who someone else is, but we, we, it's important for those of you coming, um, the next generation of worship leaders, that you know where you've come from. So for me, it's important because maybe I'm sort of the middle generation here. I wasn't ever in Anaheim in the early days when it all happened. And... The hippies started singing with guitars, songs to Jesus, all those stories that we hear, and the Hawaiian shirts and all those things. I was never there. I never met Wimber. I never actually even heard him speak live. Um, so those stories are important to me. They're part of our legacy, part of our, our journey, and we do need to pass that story on, not so that we can be nostalgic or try and relive the past, but story is important. Journey is important. And um, that, is that enough? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's awesome. Okay, um, so I'm just gonna we're gonna move over a little bit to the, the questions that people are asking. Um, I, I'll I'll flip between them. But what, one of the questions, Simon, that people are asking is, how do you personally not drop the cross? How do you keep on coming back to the beginning, being the beginning for you? It's a very good question. Um, the cross is the place of encounter with God, the place of forgiveness, place of revelation, place of renewal. Uh, so uh, all these streams flow from the cross and um, I, I, I just sort of, I'm conscious of that, uh, that I'm not looking anywhere else for these things. I'm looking to, to the cross. I meditate on the cross. Um, I make this, I mean, I make the sign of the cross uh, daily, many, many times a day, 
uh, over myself as a kind of visual reminder and a sort of physical but spiritual connection with it. Um, I'm always reading about it. I'm always reading in the Gospels. Um, a new book arrived this morning, uh, last night, started this morning, On the Cross. So, um, you know, I'm singing about the cross. I'm always looking in worship songs for the cross. It's kind of a default in me, you know, is the cross mentioned? Um, is the cross mentioned in the prayers? Is the cross mentioned in the sermon? So, it's, all, it's sort of subconscious, in, actually, I say conscious, sub, almost it's so much part of me that it is my sort of source of life, reflecting on it, meditating on it, preaching it, looking out for it, listening out for it. Um, as I said, physically making the sign of it, thanking God for it, studying different explanations of it. Beautiful. So it's a bit of a ramble, but... Um, it's like describing love. It's a difficult one. It's just, it's there and it's part of me. But I think for some for whom it isn't, then, that, that, then disciplines are required. Um, the discipline of coming to the Lord's table, a discipline of reading, discipline of looking. I look for the cross uh, when I'm reading. Are there shadows and types in what I'm reading in Scripture? Um, whenever I preach, I hope in every sermon I preach to mention the cross and mention the gospel. Spurgeon said our sermons should be crammed with the cross. So I, I'm trying to, cr I'm looking for it. I, I, I try consciously to put it into my talks, but it, it, it's such a part of me now. But I'm aware, and then that makes it, I'm aware when I travel and I listen, that I often don't hear it sung, don't hear it spoken about, don't hear it celebrated don't hear it offered um, and often our ministries you know I, I hear about the different ministries we're doing, but they don't seem to be sort of connected and following a trajectory flowing from the cross they're sort of free floating so I pick up on that um, but yeah if I uh, if I do one thing I, I make the sign of the cross or often but I'm an Anglican that might seem really strange weird <laughs> religious and odd to the vineyard um, and Harmony, one of, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, um, we talk about uh, having a lifestyle of worship in the vineyard, and, um, and I heard you speak at NLC, and I wondered if you could share something of, of you and what that means to you. Well, one of the things that I'm realizing more and more is that we ask Sunday mornings or whatever our primary gathered places to bear a lot of weight. Like, it's trying to do everything for us. And, um, you know, again, Maybe I shouldn't talk about the past again, but when I hear the stories about the early days of the vineyard, they were gathering in each other's homes for Bible studies, like every week, every night of the week, during the day, the moms that weren't working were gathering, you know, and it, there was just sense of being immersed and embodying something throughout the week. Um, so I think a lifestyle of worship for me has been that I've had to develop disciplines outside of sung worship. Um, now, what, my favorite way to connect with Jesus is at the piano with my Bible open and just start singing what's on the page. And I hope none of you ever hear what that sounds like. Uh, I think Jesus, hopefully he likes it okay. <laughs> but, you know, um, it's, it's not going to ever be recorded, but it is how I immerse myself in the scriptures. Um, 
But I also realized that I needed to develop some other muscles as well in my worship and that it couldn't all rest on music. Um, so I uh, was absolutely terrified, and I think this is a normal human experience to be terrified of silence, but I knew that that's the discipline that I needed to lean into. And one of the things that I've discovered about silence now, how I started was I set my timer for two minutes. Two minutes was like two million minutes. It felt so long, and, um, and, and that was embarrassing. I, I didn't like that that was so difficult. Um, but one of the things I've realized in the, in the silence is that, to me, it feels like a true expression of the gospel because I'm not doing anything. I'm not, I'm not playing the piano. I'm not necessarily praying any particular prayer. And I found that really difficult because grace is actually incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, for me, anyway, um, I love to be doing stuff for God. And um, so that's been really helpful for my personal journey of life, a lifestyle of worship. And there's, you know, in different seasons, there's been different things, you know, that is, is learning to worship, uh, you know, off the stage, on the streets, or, you know, on a missions trip, or whatever it is. But what I, th I think the key thing is, is that we're actually developing as worship leaders other muscles as well as singing and playing our instrument. Yeah. It's interesting. I think sometimes when people sit in, in an audience and they hear people talk about, you know, worship or lifestyle of the cross, um, sometimes I think they can get a, 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 the wrong impression of, oh, well, we must have just floated on a cloud for years and years. But what could either of you say about how you, how you stay committed to worshiping Jesus, staying focused on the cross in adversity and through difficulty and uh, the struggles uh, that many people here will be facing? I've actually encountered Jesus more in, in adversity. And, um, you know, when I think of certain family members that have died unexpectedly and things that have happened, and, you know, we have a story that's maybe similar to the the angel woman that held your your head when you'd had your accident as a family. We have one of those. And, you know, I, I feel like God has been very near. And the challenge is when, when there's nothing dramatic happening or when I'm just really busy or, you know, and it's nothing extraordinary. Um, the everyday of life actually is when I find it the most challenging. I hate getting up early out of my bed to sit in silence. I absolutely hate it. I really, really detest it. And that part of it has not really gotten any easier. And that really irritates me. <laughs> you know, honestly, it does. I wish that after trying to do this, forgive me, not trying. In our church, we've just decided we're not talking about trying anymore. Training. Training in silence. Um, you know, I guess I thought that maybe the getting up in the morning or the things that feel really difficult or the sack, how hard it is to turn off Netflix those things haven't necessarily gotten any easier for me. Maybe someone else is a different story. It's a battle. Yeah. Simon, do you want to add anything to that? Well, the cross, for me, makes sense of all the difficulties. And, um, you know, life is hard. I, everyone, er, no one gets through life easy, even if they appear to. My life's been a hard life, full of good things, but full of tough things especially health and various things. And the, cr the cross makes sense of it. It, 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 it's, 
gives me comfort that the Lord knows and he's been there and he's been through it. Um, it gives me encouragement that he's, that he's come out the other side and that because of it, he's going to put all things right. So, you know, my momentary and light uh, suffering, you know, will come to an end because of what he did at the cross. Um, but it also shows why, why it was necessary. We live in a fallen and broken world and I shouldn't be surprised that things are so difficult. Um, so the cross sort of as a sort of frame to, to the life's hardships it makes sense, it gives me comfort, and it gives me hope that things are going to be better. Great. I think one of the things that we've talked about a lot is about investing in the next generation. And um, I just wonder if both of you would have some advice on um, obviously speaking to a generation about how to be captivated and press in uh, for, for worship, uh, and also to press in for, for the word, and I know obviously you, you, you read the Bible, but to, to get that hunger to actually um, pursue a lifestyle of intimacy with Jesus through the word and through worship. <laughs> oh, me. <laughs> I, I was privileged to grow up in a context with a father who loved his Bible. And every morning before I was up, he would be up reading it. Every evening, nine o'clock news, he'd watch that. It was nine in those days, it's 10 now, and then go up and read his Bible. And I knew that Christians read the Bible, so that when I became a Christian, I went and bought a big black Bible like my dad and just started reading it. Um, I have his old Bible that he, he read the Bible every year for four, year, four times a year in the difficult years, bringing me up, he says, sometimes more. So he's read it hundreds of times. So that was my model. So I didn't need any encouragement or inspiration. I, I had it. Um, but it became quite clear to me then, as a young Christian in my 20s, that many Christians didn't read it. Um, and I think for the last 30 years as a minister, I've been trying to encourage them to do that. One practical thing I think people can do is um, not use their phone. Now, I'm all for technology. Let's use it as best we can. Uh, and, you know, there are some amazing things, although I've only ever downloaded one app on my phone, and that was the bank, and I didn't do it right, so I still can't use it. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm not good at this sort of thing, but I would encourage you to buy a Bible um, and own it. You know, I think your brain functions differently with that in that hand rather than on the screen. And I would encourage you to start at the beginning and go to the end, start at the beginning and go to the end, start at the beginning and go to the end, and just begin again at the beginning. Um, I try and buy a Bible every few months. I probably buy, buy several a year. And I just try, I just read, because I find a new Bible, let's start again. Um, and I, not that I read the Bible, you know, in, a, in a, every few months, but I'm always buying new Bibles are starting again. So I would encourage you, buy a Bible, start at, you know, Matthew, read, read the Old Testament through, read the New Testament through, you know, several chapters a day, and ju just read it. I, I, I don't know how to get that in you, but this book is life and love and power and meaning and direction and fulfillment. You know, this is... This is the wardrobe that you go into Narnia or, uh, <laughs> you know, um, the ward. 
this is, this is where God meets us. And here it is available to us. And so often we don't. If I could, would, could recommend just one Bible, am I allowed to? I'd buy, the e, I'd buy one that's on the stall. <laughs> and then maybe I'd download the ESV Study Bible because you, you get it for nothing. And it's got great notes to help you understand what you're reading. And as I approach it, and it's a difficult thing to read, I would ask God, speak to me through your word. Mm. Speak to me now. And then re read a chapter. He will speak to you. Awesome. Harmony? So maybe what I'll do is address those of you in the room that are not worship leaders per se. We're all worshipers, aren't we? Nobody's... Um, Nobody's not a worshiper. Um, so my husband is an inspiration to me in that he is not a musician at all. And um, one of his early experiences in the vineyard, actually, I can barely speak of it because it's so offensive to me, but he was in a small group um, at a vineyard church and he was engaging in a worship, and for him, this was such a big deal because he's not a singer, and he started to sing out in this small group. And the worship leader said to him at some point, please, could you not sing so loud because you're singing out of tune and it's putting me off? Yeah. But you know what he did? Like, he, that did shut him down for a little while, but he rose up again because he knew, I can't miss this. I can't let the enemy shut this down. And he fought through that with all of his might. And then there was this moment, maybe like a year and a half ago, where I just, if you hear his full story, um, even that snapshot of it, you'll appreciate what a big deal of it this was. At the end of his preaching, and he's a, he's a wonderful preacher, he got up and he then, at the end of it, began to lead us in worship. And he sang out into a microphone. <laughs> and he said he was going to, before he did it, and then he paused. In that pause, I was like, do I need to give him his starting note? Do I need to hum a note for him? <laughs> I was freaking out, what are you doing? <laughs> but you know what? He just went for it, and we all joined him, and it was a moment that I will never forget. So it doesn't matter how gifted we are or think we are, whether we can sing. Worship is about so much more. It's that encounter, and I've just watched him push through that in a way that I haven't had to. Now, I've had to push through in other areas um, more so uh, than him. But to the worship leaders in this space, um, I really want to, I don't know if this even fits with your question, but I just want to make sure I get it in there. So this is a real story that had happened, and I think I've, I've been bursting to share it because of what Simon is saying about the gospel. Um, older worship leader, younger worship leader, older worship leader and younger worship leader are leading together. The worship set is not, I hate how we measure these things. Like, how do we know if it's going well sometimes? How do we measure it? Arms in the air or whatever. Anyway, it didn't feel like it was connecting with people. And then, um, you know, older, older worship leader steps up, starts to lead, and sings about Jesus just sings about Jesus, and the whole place just went whoosh, and it just erupted in praise. And younger worship leader says to older worship leader after the set, how did you know to do that? Older worship leader laughs and goes, I just sang about Jesus. 
<laughs> and it was as simple as that. And I think in our worship sets, uh, I know I'm getting older. I'm 41. Um, I know I'm 41. And um, so I, I, f <laughs> I feel like maybe this is what an old person <laughs> might say, as an old worship leader might say. We have to sing about Jesus, and we, sing t we have to sing to Jesus. That's our legacy in the vineyard. That's intimacy, but we also need to sing about who he is and what he did. Amazing, amazing. Um, some of the people are asking about um, preaching, and um, Simon, obviously, you, you, I mean, I've been listening to you speak for 15 years or so, and it's been a, it's been a, a blessing. Um, Ministry for <laughs> Just obviously amongst this generation, maybe there are some people that are, are sensing that the Lord is calling them to speak and to preach. Um, how, how were you called? How did you know that God was calling you to preach the word? I do hope God is, and I believe God is calling people this weekend and to preach. Uh, and they're going to also be called to be worship leaders and be inspired in that. Because part of the anointing that people carry is to equip the saints for works of service. So if you invite me as a preacher, then part, hopefully that rubs off in, in, in the anointing. And God definitely has called some of you to be preachers. I think everyone can preach, but some people are called particularly to preach. And so I want to encourage you with that. And what you need are two things. You need the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. So especially for you, be asking God um, to speak to you from the Bible and be asking God to give you power to be able to speak. It's not your gift. It's his gift and you, and you need him. But how was I called? Well, in one sense, uh, it was sort of imitating what was a family profession. I mean, I was a butcher but, and my father worked for the Law Society, but... He was a preacher, and I grew up watching him. My granddad, my great-granddad, great-uncles, they, they were all preachers. So I, I think things can run through the family line, or you kind of catch the family trade, so to speak, um, just in the natural. But I think also spiritually, God gives things through families. But me personally, when I, um, before I was a Christian, and I spent my teenage years about as far away from God as as, as anyone can be, really. And uh, I remember being sat on, this is true, on a fence and rolled up a fag and I was smoking and in the distance I could see an Anglican church. And I grew up being taught that Rome was the Antichrist and the Church of England her illegitimate spawn. So you didn't go near either. And I saw this and um, then I had a vision, not a Christian, I had a vision of me teaching children the story of Jonah and saying, you can't run away from God. You know? And God was speaking to me through this vision of me teaching children about Jonah. It was bizarre. And I'm sat on the fence and I got up and I said to God, who I believed in but didn't know, I'm never going to church and certainly not that one. Anyway, about six months later, I got saved in that church. And um, through an amazing, you know, it was an amazing thing. And... Um, I've never gotten over it. But very quickly, I just thought, I've got something to tell people. So a week later, after getting saved on the one night, the week later, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking I'm in the pub where I used to hang out, telling everyone about the Lord, just stand up speaking. Um, I just had to tell someone. And uh, 
I, I then, even when I was in the meat trade, started preaching on the streets. I just, I just had to tell someone. I think if people have got a call to preach, everyone can be trained to teach and preach and open God's word and give it in a way that is encouraging. But if there is a particular charism that God has given you, um, then it will be in you and you'll, you, you just will be looking for opportunities. And um, I think you can pray for those opportunities. You can ask for those opportunities. Ask God to give you opportunities. You know, if you feel called to write sermons, start writing them. That's what I did. I began writing sermons and then I asked God for an opportunity to give them. And um, I'm, I'm going on a bit, but I, uh, I felt God tell me that I should leave and become a, a street preacher full time, leave, leave sec employment, live by faith. So I said, Lord, I'll do it, um, but I want, um, I, I need an opportunity to preach. And uh, so suddenly an opportunity came in. I'd never spoken before. It's the first time, apart from Sunday school. And... Um, it was at a, a youth thing, and non-Christian, and uh, they, but they wanted me to speak. I said, Lord, uh, I want 15 people to get saved. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, I think 15 people. And um, anyway, I went and heard Billy Graham speak that week, and I copied his whole sermon. I, I nicked the whole thing. <laughs> it's true, and I went. And I said, Lord, I'll give, up my, I'll give my job notice in tomorrow if 15 people get saved tonight. <laughs> and I preached Billy Graham's sermon. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end, I just said, right, if you want to become a Christian, come forward. <laughs> 14 people came forward. <laughs> go, oh, no. It's 14. You know, I'm obviously not called to be a preacher. That was my thought. I thought 14 is very clear, not 15. And then as I walked out the door, behind the door that was open, there was a parent of one of these teenagers crying. So I said, there's the 15. Um, and so I handed my notice in the next day and went to be in the wow. preacher. So I think that, putting all that together, there's a special vocation that some have. And I think they need to practice. I used to take days off work and preach through the window. I'd, put, I'd just put the Bible, the sermon notes I'd written, I'd just preach to the grass. And in my mind's eye, I'd be calling people forward. So I think you practice the gift, you perfect it, you hone it, you invest in it. Prayer, study of scripture, writing talks, and then practice, asking God for opportunities. And, um, you know, I've picked up so many bad mistakes on the way. But um, God has, God has honored the, the gift and the call, I think, that he gave me. Yeah. Amazing. And... Um for you, Harmony, obviously a number of people may have a sense of calling into to vineyard worship. What would, you, what would you say to them? Well, can I say something about preaching first? Yeah. I really yeah, feel like too. I want to say something to the women in this room who feel called to preach. And I, So I grew up in a church where women didn't preach. But I remember when I was like six, seven, eight, sitting in, in church coming up with talks in my head. And, um, but there was no outlet for that until I met the vineyard. Only then <laughs> that I actually had to do it. Because <laughs> before that I had a great excuse. <laughs> and it worked really well. I could be really offended and angry. <laughs> 
which I might have been. Um, and, uh, but now I actually had to do it. And um, there was a terrifying journey for me of un unpacking some of the, the hurt and the, the things that have been spoken over me that, to be honest with you, I'm still on that journey. So if you are a woman and you're called to preach, you're in the vineyard. You can do this stuff. You don't have to carry all the stuff that I carried. You don't, my parents still think it's horrible that I preach. Um, it's an embarrassment to them. And that's really hard. And they're missionaries. Um, and so that's really painful. But you, hopefully that's not your story. And even if it is, if the Holy Spirit is calling you to preach, you, can't, you, can't, you have to be faithful to that calling. Um, and I guess it's the same with worship leaders. If you're terrified, there's a lot of, the enemy has a field day with fear and insecurity and rejection and all of these things are comparison and jealousy. And um, if you're a worship leader, you might be, in that spot where you're really wrestling with the vulnerability of that calling and putting yourself out there and all the effort that has to go in of practicing your instrument, submitting to your pastor and your band leader and they tell you you can't sing that song that you really like or um, you know whatever it is, we have to submit ourselves to that process. But the vineyard is a wonderful place to get involved. We have so much permission and so much freedom to journey who God has made us to be. So let's do it. We really don't have any excuses. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I, I don't know, just listening to both of you then, I, I wonder if, like, I think, like, I wonder whether we should pray. I, I wonder whether, Harmony, first of all, like, you would pray uh, for women preachers uh, now to be raised up and called out. Um, and then maybe uh, you as well, uh, Simon, would, would also pray um, for people to be just captivated by the word of God. Um, and to be raised up to preach the gospel. Um, so do you want to lead us first? And then Simon, do you want to close us up with a, with a prayer? Well, it's the vineyard, so we've got to stand up or Come something, on. don't we? Yeah. Let's stand. 